Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? I'm amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. And with me, as always, DJ Mark. Sup. Also joining us this week, the legend himself, Lavender Gooms. Happy National Cinnamon Croissant Day, guys. No, that's a good... I, I don't think I've ever had a cinnamon croissant before, to be honest with you. I didn't know that was a thing. Well, now I've put it into your head, so maybe you should go have it one. It sounds good. Sounds great. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing to add to that. I don't have a fucking mic. Only that's the only day that we had today. Mike's fucking throwing a hissy fit <laughs> because we had to restart because we took the podcast off the rails a minute into it last time. Because some people just don't know comedy. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Mike, go ahead, defend your pedophile joke. <laughs> no, 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 no. Much like Haley's comment, only comes once in your lifetime. Oh, there's more jokes to make I guess there. Twice, if you're lucky. How often does a Haley's comment come? I believe it's every 86 years. Yeah, that's a tough one. To oh, wait, don't, don't they say we're all going to live to like 100 now? If like if you're born today, you're going to make it to 100 or something like that. No, no. I hope not. For me, at least, I don't want to make even it that, that long. Even <laughs> if long. it is, even if you do live to be 100, you got to be pretty lucky to have seen Haley's comment, not Haley, Haley's comment, at an age where you could remember it the first time. Mm-hmm. And n- not be in diapers by the second time. I just again, I'm just saying, like I a hundred. Uh, once it, once I'm not having a good time, I'm <laughs> I'd like to wrap it up. Okay, that's just you know, I'm not having a good time right now. Once I'm having a bad time, <laughs> right? Once I'm having okay. a bad time, I'd like to go. I'd like to be done. Anyway, folks, um, we got a new middleweight champion. The last stylebender himself, Israel Adesanya. Um, took out Poetan Alex Pajeda and took it out, took him out with style. Uh, pun intended. Is that a pun? Whatever. Fuck it. Um, also. knocked him the fuck out with an over, with two overhand rights. Um, those of us with brilliant a- a- analysis remember that that same overhand right was what he cracked, uh, Pajeda with at the end of the first round in their first MMA fight. A little bit mm-hmm. late in the fight, a little bit late in that round. Couldn't capitalize on it. Marcus, this time, Izzy, uh, Izzy exercised some fucking demons, man. What'd you, what'd you think of the fight? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people didn't think he'd be able to get it done, um, not himself included. And a really fun fight for the two rounds that lasted. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Even the first round, which was, you know, maybe not like the most exciting barn burner match like we got later uh earlier in the in the uh night with uh font and um adrian what was his name uh yanez yanez uh, apparently yeah which was just a, a barn burner of three minutes but like a very tactical first round where we saw alex really utilizing the leg kicks israel switching stances to kind of negate some of that um showed some good strikes himself but it was kind of a feeling out process and then round two is really where the fireworks started coming where 
Alex continued on the legs, uh, you know, and what, what I liked about it too was, you know, once he did switch stance, which seemed to be um, Izzy's main defense because, because of how Alex stands where he's more square, it is hard to see his leg kicks coming because a lot of times if you're in more of a, like an orthodox stance where uh, your left shoulders in front a little bit more, when you throw that uh, leg kick, you know, your other shoulder moves, you telegraph it a little bit more. It gives your opponent some time to have some kind of counter, whether you're checking it or throwing a strike off of it. And because Alex is square up, it's hard to see those strikes coming. So Izzy was getting caught with it often. And it was, you know, doing some, you know, pretty significant damage to the point where he felt he needed to switch stances. And then when he switched stances, Alex started working on the other legs. So I think he really had a good game plan of let's take the legs away. Let's try to minimize some of the footwork. Um, and, you know, to Izzy's point, he switched stances. He did very well in southpaw. He had some good weapons there. It was a close first round. Um, and Who'd then yeah, in the second, I don't, I, honestly, I don't remember. I, I, it was I one, it was one of those things Izzy, I knew where it ended. So but I was like, mm-hmm. at the end of the first round, I'm like, uh, this, I'm like, if this had gone to decision, this was going to be an issue this round. It was one of those mm-hmm. where I was just like, this is the round where, you know, sometimes if this goes to decision, this is going to be a problem. And, uh, I guess all yeah. the judges had it for Izzy, but I really thought you could have gone either way if you wanted to. I mm-hmm. thought, you know, yeah, man, I, yeah. I, fuck, I, then, fuck, I fucking love high level MMA. Sorry to interrupt for a second. I just love to like, <laughs> these guys have fought each other this many times and they're making adjustments like that. Like Alex in the first fight did not go to the body and legs like this. If you look at the stats, nowhere near that. And I'm, you know, you're going to talk about Izzy's adjustments too. They just, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no. So, I mean, the second round, it was more of a continuation mm-hmm. and, it did seem at some point that Izzy was more compromised. It seemed like the low kicks were hurting him more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to Izzy's point, what he made after the fight, you know, maybe playing a little possum, which it, if true to fact was a brilliant move. Cause one of the things that Izzy that we've seen from Izzy in his MMA career is his utilization of his extremely quick hands in the pocket. He used it against Whitaker. That's how he beat Whitaker. That's how he beat Paula Costa is, I mean, I think, okay, so for me, I've always been a little underwhelmed with Izzy's performances because when you watch him in kickboxing, the combinations he throws, you know, the the kind of movement he has is just like, it's up that, it's up at that level with where, where Anderson was at his peak. And I don't really feel like we've seen Izzy perform to that height in MMA. And it's probably because he can't really let his hands and feet go like that without risking getting taken down. So he has to be a little bit more conservative. And where he's been extremely effective is getting in the pocket with these guys, figuring out the little patterns they make, and capitalizing with a big shot and ending the fight. That's what he did with Whitaker. That's what he did with Paul Costa. That's what he did here with Alex in the first fight at the end of the first round and here to finish the fight. Whereas, you know, in, in his kickboxing matches, like the flow he has was just like beautiful. And I don't think we really get to see that as much, but he's still extremely dangerous. And he brought Alex in. You know, like you said, he was potentially playing possum it seemed like the low kicks were hurting him alex put on the pressure and i'm sure in his mind he felt like this was round five again he had him hurt up against the cage was going to tee off and the ending sequence was basically you know he landed a good uh punch to the body he landed a good knee to the head and then he threw his killer left hook which kind of got around the guard of izzy and that was too enticing for him he he got a piece of it and he's like i hit him one once more with one of those this fight's fucking over and he got greedy he got over zealous and izzy had it lined up he beat him with the shorter punch on the inside 
it hurt. It hurt Alex really bad. You know, it wasn't enough to put him away. But Izzy followed up right again with another right hand, and that sent him to the double floor. tap, he, baby. He right? Finished the show with a hammer, hammer fist. What's yeah, that? he double tap. Was that was that called? Was that from uh, Zombieland? Double tap. Was that what it was? Got, yeah. Also, yeah, we, I mean, him, he, the same. I mentioned the same right hand in the first fight. He got him. I mean, he was only able to hit him one time with it in the first fight when he caught him with that. But it was at the left. end of the round. Yeah. Yeah. It was also down the round. Like, um, also, Alex is going to have to address that because I think people are, I mean, the higher level people will notice, like, hey, man, this guy comes in with the left. He leaves himself open. And um, he may not have, because, like, Izzy was having trouble, I thought, with the, um, in the first fight, too. It's a big motherfucker, man. Alex is huge. And Izzy getting in on him was not easy. He couldn't get in. And, like, I'm not sure how on purpose it was. It wasn't on purpose. I, I honestly think him getting Alex to get closer to him was part of the strategy. You know, maybe not taking as many of the leg shots. I mean, the leg kicks obviously was a wrinkle he probably wasn't counting for. I do think he was trying to get him in closer because quite frankly, that was the only way he was going to be in range for shots like that. Because he wasn't treating Alex this one the way he did. Like the first one, it was a lot of like, I'm going to make sure I don't get cracked by this dude. You know what I mean? I'm going to make sure... Um, I'm going to make sure I don't get cracked by this guy in the first one. The first one, he was fighting much more cautiously, I thought. This one, it was more like, Izzy, I think, recognized, I'm going to have to get into it with this guy. Like, we're going to have to mix it up. And, um, yeah, fucking put him down. The, did the air bow and arrow thing. Um, <laughs> mocked his child <laughs> at the end, too, which was... Child deserved it. The kid, look, I like how people aren't even criticizing him, but most people are just like, hey, man, you got to learn sometime. <laughs> Gotta learn sometime. Mike, I tell me if you think I'm on the wrong uh, page here, but I honestly do not think, and based on the media also, I think most people are under what I'm thinking here. I don't think you could overstate what Izzy had to come back from to win this fight. To win, to, like from the last, of his previous fights with this guy and what was on the line here for him. And his own coach didn't necessarily like the idea of an immediate rematch. I think I was talking about it like, I don't like this man. Like, he exercised the demons, and he went out there, and this guy beat him three fucking times, man. And not twice, only did he beat him three times, out. he beat him three times, knocked him out twice, and in all three fights, Izzy was winning. You know? All three of them. And, like, was winning more convincingly as the fights were going on. You know, it felt like. So, like, he doing him doing this, and him putting a fucking stamp on it for his legacy, there was a lot on the line here, man. There was like, you know, the people, the fans of this sport, we all can sit here and be logical adults and say, hey, man, styles make fights. And this guy's got his number. People would have shit on his entire reign. People would have looked at every fucking defense and been like fucking snooze fest with Romero, fucking snooze fest with Cannoneer, fucking snooze fest with the Tory. Even though every one of these fights, the other motherfucker was supremely outmatched and was, you know, it was like watching a guy trying to solve a Rubik's Cube, really, is what they were fighting Izzy. Like... This was so much on the line for him, man. What, I mean, what did you think? I just, I, I remember I went up to Mark and I were at Hood Slam, and I went up to him and I just said, Izzy iced him in the second round. And Mark's eyes just popped up like, holy fuck, really? Like, Mike, what did you think? <laughs> and also considering with all those other, <clears throat> with all those other title defenses that, yeah, the fight may have looked boring, but that was against people that were out here murdering everyone else until they got to Izzy. Yeah. So much like how... Uh, GSP, there is a scale to making people who were exciting and murderers before just look kind of ordinary against you. But um, back to your original question as to what I think this means for Izzy, it, it, it means everything. 
um, for him. Um, you don't see very often, as you alluded to last week, that the person who loses their belt in an immediate rematch, they more often than not don't come out victorious. Um, he was able to this uh, on this occasion. And then also just besides that, if he was able to beat the guy to make to just put it very simply he was able to get the win it almost doesn't matter that he lost three times in a row because as i mentioned last week i get he was winning that fight i was there to watch that fight in in madison square garden i get he was winning at you know per different points the the two kickboxing matches but all anyone would remember was remembering is hey this man lost three times two of them were by ko and if he had lost this one yeah i agree people would have just discredited his his whole reign said he's a bum he let this guy who has like six mma fights come in and beat him uh is he is he's whack is he ain't shit dude yeah like so he also this, like this dude, was vindication about, for his Mike, career think about his week also he's he's wearing a fucking dog collar like he's um Jet Li's character from um, what was the name of the fucking movie where Jet no, Li's one. got a huh? Well, is, 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 one? No, it wasn't. One. It wasn't one. It wasn't that one. No, it was, it was, it was the one with one? Bob Haskins. Yeah, it was. Bob, it was um, Bob Haskins was in. Like what the fuck was it? Jet Li dog collar movie. Bob Haskins was the detective. Unleashed. In Who Framed Roger Rabbit? It was called Unleashed. Um, uh, Bark. Yeah. Was was that the reference? Yeah, it was. It was, it was Jet Li and Unleashed. Okay, because like I didn't, I didn't understand what that collar. I mean, it, I know then, like, it was like you, a dog collar, but it didn't look like a dog collar. So I was like, I don't know. Did what you the catch hell the song is, it but... came out to, Mark? Uh, I mean, I watched it, but I didn't like know what the song it was, was. Trapped. Oh, it was trapped. That's right. And oh, it was Jesus. the most like, the... like everything about what Izzy was doing. Where you're like, I'm not sure you guys have been around the MMA internet the last six months, but it hasn't been kind to Israel Adesanya. Okay, there have been so many jokes. Okay, like there was like jokes were like. Someone put like Izzy on a jet ski, right? And then all of a sudden, you had like a fucking uh, a picture of Poetan in like a snorkel coming up behind him. Like, wherever you go, Izzy, this guy's coming. Like, it doesn't matter what you do. Like, <laughs> there was so many jokes about this dude. And he had like oh, an eyebrow that. tattoo. And he's fucking like, you know, Izzy can be like polarizing, man. Like, he can, you know. Um, what the fuck? You know what I appreciate about this man, though, with the shit Izzy does? This is a side note. The thing that I like about what he does that I don't like, like we're like, we're like what Colby Covington's gimmick does, or like Henry Cejudo, or some level on some level, right? They're doing those things to draw like for other people, right? I get the impression everything Israel Israel Adesanya is doing is because that's what Israel Adesanya is about, and he's doing it for himself, right? All that shit, like every part of it, he give a fuck what anybody thinks about it, you know. Um, that's his post-fight speech, by the way, one of the best this sport's ever seen, you know, talking about how, like, he hopes everybody in their life can, like, be this happy one day, but being this happy requires, you know, taking chances and never giving up, but the whole thing was, like, fucking inspirational, um, honestly, I think this was the night Israel Adesanya took and went to the next level as a star, I don't mean in terms of, like, abilities and like oh he's become a better no i mean in terms of a draw and a star and there was fucking we're gonna talk about it in a little bit it was a 12 million dollar gate there was a fucking ex-president in the front row there was a whole cavalcade of celebrities 
this was a big deal, man. This was a big deal. People are talking about how this card felt like it was a fucking big, like, like a Vegas card or like a Madison Square Garden card. This was a big deal. And this was in a city where they've never sold shit. They've never sold anything. And on his back and on the back of Mr. 305, you know, in the co-main event, you know, they sold a lot of fucking tickets. So I think this was a huge night for Israel at Asanya. Um, Mark, I I think we're on the same page here. I think I, I think both of us think they should be doing this again. We should run it back again. Um, it seems to be that that's not what's in the cards based on the way the UFC's talking and the way Izzy's talking about how Alex is going to 205, probably. He seems to have a very, very, very rough weight cut to 185. It, what I find weird about that is, like, I'm hearing that from everyone but Alex. <laughs> like, everyone's saying he's going to 205 except mm. for the dude who might be doing it, which, mm. look... Uh, I, so we talked about it earlier, and I agree. I think, I think I agree with you. Like this was a big coming out. I mean, coming out moment doesn't really seem like the right words because he was already a very popular star. Like, but I think this really solidified his story and made him more marketable or likable or whatever you want to put on it. I think the problem is if he doesn't fight Alex, who does he fight that anyone gives a shit about? Because that, that that's what I'm seeing. It's like. Okay, if he doesn't fight Alex, because maybe he's right, and Alex has said maybe behind the scenes, like, look, this is my last 185. Um, so Alex is, one second, Mark, let me read Alex's statement that was released today. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. just here to let you know that I'm fine. I want to thank my family, my team, and all the people who are supporting me during my journey. Now I just have to rest and continue with the plans that are already on motion. Thanks, God. I don't know what that last line means, unless it means like it's like destined by God yeah. or some shit, or really there is plans, but that is... That is that. Sorry to cut you yeah, off. Yeah, so I mean, if he goes to 205, then fair game, you know, is he has to find a new opponent. I have very little interest to watch him fight Robert Whitaker again. Like, that that fight has little to no appeal at me whatsoever. They've done it twice. Robert wasn't close in any of them. The it wasn't one competitive. was real close. Really? I don't know. Yeah, it was like real close. It, like, it was a split, I to think. To me, it was just like, I don't, I have no interest. I've, well, the first one was so dominatingly a slow. Here's the thing. I, I I disagree with you slightly. I have no interest no in paying a dime for it. But I would, you know, I'd like to watch it because I think it'd be a good fight. I, I, mean, I, I, it, I understand where you're coming from. I don't know how you sell a third fight. Like, for I don't me, get that. yeah, it's not it's not compelling. Um, you mentioned uh, Kazmat. Yeah. I think that is super compelling. Um, but he's not tested. He hasn't really earned that at 185. Now, I mean, he... Is his last fight still Burns at 170? His last fight was uh, Kevin Holland on about 42 minutes notice when he missed weight okay, by nine pounds. That's right. He, I mean, well, he, let me, he, one he more. Let me get Mike and Mike in on this. Mike, I mean, I know we're, we're, we're fucking all talking out of our asses here when we say earned, uh, the word earned at any point here. Yep. Especially in the UFC. But, like, he's got two middleweight wins. And the last one was, like, three years ago. And that was against Gerard Mearshart. And yeah, he iced Gerard Mearshart in like a, in like thirty seconds or something, right? I he got to fight somebody, right? At middleweight first, no, like or just fuck it. What do we do? Well, why not? Let's just book it. I would say just fuck it. Um, at this point, when it comes to Izzy, um, there was some interest, I think, injected back into the middleweight division because he had this this surprise loss and as you guys mentioned now that he's run it back and he's gotten the win we're kind of back to the same place because what other compelling middleweights have really come he beat out every single in, one of these people 
all look like the, if you look at the middleweight rankings, we're looking at. I mean, let's just go down the line whether he beat this motherfucker up or not. Um, Alex, we'll just knocked his ass out. Bobby Knuckles, twice. Marvin Vittori, twice. Jared Cannonier, that wasn't good. Paulo Costa, he humped him. He humped him. After knocking him out. This one's interesting. And not that it's a close fight. Drickus is number six. And they're talking a lot of shit. And I am not comfortable with the way the conversation talk is going, Mike, because I don't feel equipped to be to have an opinion in this real African, not real African debate uh, going on between these two guys. But if they want to fight and Izzy wants to whoop uh, Drickus' ass, because he would whoop his ass. Like, that is not a close fight. I would happily that- watch that. Mm-hmm. That particular, well, uh, on the other part, uh, I was thinking about that on my walk earlier today. It's like, well, how many generations has Dupl- Duplessis family been in South Africa? Were they the nice white South Africans? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Were, were his, was his mommy and daddy like, man, I really miss apartheid? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to ask okay. those questions. I mean, besides the point, However, we're, at, we're at number six. Besides, mm-hmm. besides that. Um, on the actual MMA front, what this particular angle felt to me, and when I saw Izzy's press conference where he didn't want to mention Duplessis, um, I got this sense from it. Ooh, I'm a little interested in this. This feels like Ronda Bechkohea all over again, where... It's straight up a title shot just because of some feud that happened with like a friend. Except in this case, it's Izzy is defending Africa's honor. Fuck it, why not? Who else does he I have look, to I, fight? I, I could, I could feel I, he he was pissed. And let me tell you, Mike, like you're first generation, I'm first generation, right? Yeah. If anybody questioned how Dominican you are, or if anybody questioned how Iranian I am, would not be a good conversation. Just it would not be a good one. Uh, but anyway, we're talking about the guys like Drickus is number six. Marcus, Sean Strickland is number seven. Roman Delice is number nine. Like we're at that part. Like we're at six, seven and six, seven and eight here or six, seven. Uh, I miss Brunson. Brunson was eight. We're at like the number six, number seven or number nine guys. He hasn't beaten them. But like they got to fight somebody, right? Guy? Like mm-hmm. they got to fight. So you got, I don't know. Or fuck it. Well, is Kamzat just the thing? And like, here's the other thing to mention. Kamzat can't fight on. T- they don't want to book Kamzat till October. Right? What's going on with his visa? Because October is Abu Dhabi. And Kamzat is real buddy-buddy with the dictator's family and the State Department's looking at it. Can he fight in the United States? Is another question. So putting aside the immigration issue, Marcus, you really think we just go Kamzat? What are the options here even? Kamzat, pick Drickus, pick Sean Strickland, pick Roman. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I... I am more interested in a fresh matchup than any of those rematches. I mean, maybe, maybe would occur a third time. Cause like you said, the second fight was potentially close, even though I don't recall it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, for me, there's not a lot of heat here at 185. There hasn't been a lot of new blood that has done well enough to garner themselves. So it's just a lot of the people that are still riding high off the losses, from Izzy. So I do feel like it's hard to have a compelling matchup for him. So that's why this, you know, they fast tracked Alex because there was a storyline there and it proved to be, I think, fruitful. You know, I think him losing made this fight all the more intriguing. And it is weird because I, I do agree with you. Like watching the event, it did seem like it was a big event and there was a lot of 
hype and excitement for it. The week leading up to it, I didn't really feel that that much. I didn't feel like this was a big one of like what you know, uh, Coker used to like a big tent pole event. It did just seem like it was another pay per view by numbers. This was just a rematch that an immediate rematch for a title, which we've seen often that we're not super big fans of. But you know, actually watching the the, uh, the fights come out. And obviously, you know, being in the live crowd in Miami, there was a lot of excitement and heat. Um, and it turned out to be a very fun card. But, yeah, it's it's hard for me to look and see, like, okay, like, yeah, who does he fight next that makes me really excited? And there's not really anyone at 185, I, I, I got an idea. besides fighting Alex again, potentially. I got an idea. Because... Um, if, if we, we know Endeavor doesn't look ahead, and they'll make shit up if they have to and add titles here or there, whatever. Uh, if Yuri and uh, apparently John Jones has, according to Dana White, uh, disappeared, which uh, and then Dana White was like, oh, oh, you ever exactly. seen Stipe turn down a fight? Yada, yada, yada. John Jones wants money is what's happening. Um, there is no Mike is laughing because Mike's like we all we all talked about this exactly like a month ago. Um, so the co-main event for International Fight Week is Volkanovsky versus uh, Yaya Rodriguez signed already, or at least it's on the pay-per-view. Um, you call up Jamal Hill and say, uh, if, if Yuri can't go in July, which I don't think Yuri can go in July, let's, uh, do Izzy versus Jamal Hill. Fuck it. I mean that seriously. Let's go double champ. I want to see Israel Adesanya versus Jamal Hill. That would be, uh, Mark, that sounds like fun to me. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, him getting another crack at 205, I think is compelling. Um, and Maybe he honestly, wins and he leaves his belt up. behind. <laughs> I think that matchup. I mean, it's okay. So I mean, I think, I think Eddie. I think really what Izzy's biggest problem is that he's been in this division for too long, right? He's cleared out all the major contenders. There's not a lot of fresh matchups that are interesting. So if he went, if he moved up a weight class, then there is a breath of interesting matchups for him. Jamal Hill is a very stylistically interesting matchup because I, I think one of the problems is I think Jan kind of expose some of the weakness potentially with him moving up to 205, right? He's not, Izzy has not shown a great magnitude for ground game off his back, right? So if these bigger guys can ground him, potentially you get another fight like that, which wasn't super compelling. Now, if he fights a striker, then it is very compelling. I do feel, I feel like that's a long shot. I don't think it's super likely oh, to happen, although I, I would like it to. I think what would be really fucking funny, like, okay, let's say that does happen. He fights Jamal Hill, uh -huh. and then Alex I know where you're going to 205, yep. and they have to fight again at 205 anyways. <laughs> and then he's fighting maybe Alex, who isn't compromised having to cut weight, too. So that, I mean, that in and of itself. Oh, look, if he wants to go to 205, honestly, Izzy's got to change his, a change, make a lifestyle change, because Izzy's not a big big enough. He's 199 right. pounds. It's yeah. just, that was, that, honestly, I thought of him and, like, Yawn were the same size. I think he would have whooped Yawn's ass. I swear to God. I really believe that. I think he would have sure. whooped he his got, ass. He got, he got outside. Yawn's 230 yeah. fucking pounds. Like, he's a big, big dude. Um, all right. Um, Jorge Masvidal, Gilbert Burns. We already went long on the main event. And, you know, Gilbert did what Gilbert had to. Um, I did think, by the way, in the third round, it was pretty clear. He, I mean, Jorge Masvidal had no answer for the right. Like, he got hit with it a lot. I think Gilbert probably could have thrown more of those. But he was too busy dealing with the fact that Masvidal greased or something. I'm, I'm, I don't know if he did. He's saying Masvidal greased. The the old lotion trick, you know, where your skin absorbs the lotion earlier in the day. And so when you start sweating, you're all greasy. Masvidal didn't enjoy that accusation. But 
Anyway, um, Jorge Masvidal retired when it was over. He said he was going to retire if it didn't go his way. And uh, the shout out to the first half of his post fight speech before he. Sure. Yeah. Dude, look. Okay. What do, you, what do you mean the first half? What, what do you say in the second half? Let's go. He tried to get a "Let's Go Brandon" chant when he was shouting out Trump and DeSantis. <laughs> Did you not see this? Trump was and stuff. I, I, yeah. I didn't. Oh, no. I thought you were being sarcastic. I, I, That's I, tr- all. I tried not to. Listen so, to Jorge Masvidal I'm at this just, point. We're going to sure. go with the positives here. Jorge Masvidal, if you guys go back and listen to this podcast, when Jorge Masvidal knocked out Ben Askren and ben, Jorge Masvidal became a star, and like a month later, Nate Diaz was like, hey, I want to – we, I'm, I'm picking – basically, Nate Diaz says, I'm picking you to get rich. Like, we, you and me are yeah. going to make a lot of money. We were all so happy for him. Do you remember how happy we all were for, like, this guy yeah. we've all loved mm-hmm. for so long? Like, so long we've loved Jorge Masvidal. We still talk about, like, the old Middle Easy, like – vlog where they're following, following following Jorge Masvidal and like he didn't show up for training and like he wouldn't unlock his door so the coach had to climb to fire escape and Jorge yeah. was just in his living room playing PlayStation and then the coach picked up the other PlayStation control like this is the thing we still talk about we all love Jorge Masvidal and seeing him essentially join a cult over the last two years has been disappointing because that's what I'm gonna call these people cult you know being part of a cult so putting that aside um, his legacy in MMA. What would you say it is, Mike? Let's go with you. What do you think his legacy is to you? Hmm. Most famous, uh, most famous Miami resident that the UFC has had so far, I guess. I mean, it's a very small pool to pick from. Uh, Man, what is what's his legacy? Well, I guess uh, maybe I shouldn't have said legacy much. Like, I, what do you what do you make of his career? Like, what what do we have? What, what, when the story of Jorge Masvidal is told, uh, what are we gonna say? I would mm-hmm. I would say this. Um, while it was for a short period in the grand scheme of things, um, considering he was never champion, he was at one point one of the most popular UFC fighters, which. It's impressive in its in its own right. Um, you don't see many UFC fighters who gain that level of nor- notoriety without being champion. Um, you can count maybe Donald Cerrone, um, and even then, I would I say, say he really didn't he didn't really escape the zeitgeist outside of uh, MMA circles. Um, it's the Diaz brothers, partic- specifically Nate Diaz. Yeah, I was gonna say only and Nate really, to be honest. There? Nate and Jorge Masvidal. That's in my. That's the only ones I can really think of. Yeah, he ha- uh, he he created a ride or die fan base. Right there, um, yeah. It's you know what, man. It's a real testament to like this guy. This sport saved this man's life. Like you hear about Jorge Masvidal's life and the way he grew up, and you know. I mean, shit, the man got arrested six months ago for punching a guy outside of a steakhouse. So things aren't perfect. But, like, man, you know, known for, like, being like, I had the best sucker punch on the streets of Miami and yada, yada. This guy was fighting in backyards. He came up in the Kimbo circuit, you know. He fought in, I think he fought in Bodog, right? Mark, he fought everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he, this man yeah. fought everywhere. Bodog, Bellator, fucking Strike Force. I don't anywhere in between. Um, this man fought there and he made it to the UFC. And against all odds, man, in a fight which he was n- like, look, man, 
there was a good few months there where Dana White was real. Everybody was real. Dana White and Ben Askren were all buddy-buddy. And Dana White realized this motherfucker can talk. And let's book him in fights. And let's get him to a thing. And it ran into a fucking knee from Miami that, you know, ruined everything. You know, ruined everything. Um, and it's just an achievement, really, man, that the guy made it this far. And, you know, he said to himself, I'm a millionaire, man. And I came from having nothing. And this company is worth $12 billion. Seven years after they bought it. And that era is accentuated by a lot of guys, and he's one of the important ones. I mean, Marcus, what do you say? You've watched Jorge more than any of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think when you kind of look at his legacy, I think you can look at some of the other type fighters that kind of were able to dig their way out of somewhat obscurity, right? And you can look at um, the Diaz brothers to a certain dis- uh, uh, level, but Jorge was a little bit different because, I mean, obviously, I think Nate benefited a lot from his brother, mm-hmm. kind of in in Nick and Nate and Jorge. They all gained their popularity off of somebody else's back. And I mean, this is combat sports. That's kind of how it works. Like, honestly, Nick really turned a lot of heads. I mean, one, when he when he beat Robbie Lawler yeah. early on, that was a big one. And honestly, I think for a lot of the hardcores, when he beat Gomi. That was like that was the guy. Like that was like the best. And again, the weight classes were a little weird, but at that lightweight level, Gomi was considered to be the best of the best. And I mean, and, and it's one of these things where it's like not only did they beat those guys, they had really gutsy star-making performances, right? Like that fight with Gomi is legendary. You know, like the, the amount of punishment he put on and took, and how he finished him with a go-go plata was insane. Nate, you know, again was one of these guys like Jorge who's been a hardcore veteran who fought everywhere. You know, Nate fought in Pancrase in Japan, WEC early on fighting uh, Ermi's Fraga. And then, you know, it wasn't in, in, and again, known and liked, but it wasn't nearly at that level until he fought and beat Conor McGregor, right? Uh, And for Jorge, it obviously was the Ben Askren fight, which I think is somewhat interesting because for those in the know of Ben, he was way past his prime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if he was going to really make a splash in the UFC, it needed to come, you know, four years earlier when he was top dog at Bellator. I think once he left Bellator and went to one, a lot of the shine wore off because his performances weren't good. And when he eventually did come to the UFC, he got that first win against Robbie, but it was ugly. It was not a clean, you know, good performance for him. Uh, but Hori was able to kind of angle off his charismaticness was able to push off that and then had, you know, a fantastic viral knockout, right? That that put him in the stratosphere. And then you're right. Like, I think at that point he was already getting to that higher level. And then him and Nate kind of pushed it over the edge, right? They, they based, I mean, they made their own belt. They made their own super event. And it, and it wasn't because, like, these are the best two guys. They had like, to bring the biggest movie star in the world to hand the belt to somebody at the end of it, too. Right. Like, <laughs> and, and the belt signified, like, these are the guys we sh- that should be getting the big paydays. These are the guys that have put in the miles, that have put in, you know, all these great performances. And, and to Jorge's credit, you know, I've always really appreciated his skill set because he's been a very technical fighter and had a tough time with the highest competition, right? Like a lot of times he seemed like he kind of he leveled out to the level of his competition. So sometimes he was fighting lesser guys. He didn't look great when he was fighting the top end guys. He was very competitive. You know, he never really lost fights where he was just like completely outskilled, except for some where he got finished. I mean, you look at the, um, I think it was the Bellator one where he got like reverse triangled, uh, choked unconscious. Shout out Toby Amata. Yeah. (laughs) 
but it, he was just like he was one of these guys that like the people that know like really respected because like he was a tough out he gave everyone problems his skill level was very high um and you you wanted to see him succeed so it was fun to see him have that moment with ben to see his star rise and you know for us personally once his politics got in the way it did kind of deter a little bit of like being a fan of him but like you still as someone that watches these athletes like you know really just bear their livelihood mm -hmm. in this sport really putting it on the line for our entertainment there's a lot of guys that kind of fall into the masvidal diaz kind of realm that have had a ton of fights that had a bunch of barn burners but just don't get the respect and agulation you know like you look at like your jim millers uh clay guidas uh diego sanchez's to a certain extent you know like these guys have had have been around forever they fight on all these cards. Their records are insane. They have a lot of great performances, but they just don't. They're like you look at those guys I just mentioned. Like a lot of them are popular, but they're not millionaire popular, right? Like they're not making that kind of stride. They haven't broken that ceiling. Um, and and I think a lot of them they just don't have that that kind of star making quality. Look, everybody was so happy unique. for him. We were everybody was it wasn't everybody was just so happy for him when it happened. There was right, the moment. Remember, do you the remember work. the look on his face when Nate called him out? And Mike, and he was in the crowd, and Jorge <laughs> had a big grin on his face, and like, cause Nate was like not even being like, like he was just like Jorge Masvidal had a good fight, you know, he's one of the only real fighters out there, but you know, there's no gangsters like West Coast gangsters, and he's an East Coast, and Jorge wasn't even listening beyond he heard his name. He was so happy, he was so happy because the man just realized I'm about to get enough money to pay for my life, my kid's life. I think he was still married, but whatever, my fam, like. You know, my dad who was in jail, like everything, like, you know, my family who came over here, you know, from Cuba, like everything came for that guy in that moment. It was so honestly like, yeah, man, it's shitty that he joined the fucking cult. It really is. It's real shitty that he joined the cult. I hope he doesn't give them any money. That's all I can say. Right, Mark? I hope he did, he, he saved his money. You know? Sure. I don't know. I don't, game bread boxing. I don't understand how they're paying people. I hope your name isn't on any yeah. of the paperwork. Those pay those payouts were insane. So when he said like he's he doesn't have to worry about money, I'm like I kind of believe you. If you're paying that much, well, I, I don't you think have that, to make I, you, you know my you theory. Have to imagine making something man. on the back. I don't know, but yeah, you're just you're you're glad because like I said, there's a lot of guys similar to him that don't have that star making ability that aren't going to be financially set. You know, I feel bad for the Jim Millers who have put in just as many fights, have had barn burners, wars, have entertained us for years. And when they retire, it's like, yeah, he can probably coach or something, but like he's not going to be living rich. Like he probably should, right? Like I like I want those guys to to have garnered that kind of twelve financial billion dollars. Yeah, twelve billion. They bought it for a million. Was it? What did they buy for? The for the guy with the Fertitas bought it a million. Uh, four. No, these guys bought it for four. Oh, the Fertitas. Yeah, they bought it for like uh, four. Maybe a mil. I was like, yeah, something like that. Whatever. You saw like, yeah. Um. All right, uh, going forward, Gilbert Burns demanded being at least the uh, the backup fighter for Mosfet for Co Covington versus Edwards, which I still like. We're still doing this, apparently. Um, I'm just gonna make my pick right now. I got Leon Edwards winning. That is not, it's not, and I am going to bet a sizable amount of money on that. Just. Putting that now, out there right is, now. Is that just five because units. you hate Kobe Covington? No, I just or... saw him beat Lee. I saw him beat Kamara Usman twice. You tell me what Covington is going to do to him. I don't think he's a better. I don't. I think he just puts. Maybe he'll put more pressure, but I don't think that's going to go well. No, I think I, I, I think Covington's going to hit the fucking just, face. 
I think he's going to get hit in the face er, often. It it just sounded very personal. No, fuck. Um, He's a very good fighter, man. He's a very good fighter. And you know what? Um, I'm sure he'll UFC will pay him a hundred grand and a picture of Trump's autograph and a Trump's autograph on a fucking button in exchange for uh, you know him getting a title fight in London. By the way, he wasn't at the event. Is he wasn't worried Jorge Masvidal's friends were going to beat him up again? Where was Covington at this event? Huh? President was there. Anyway, um, shout out to Rob Font, huh, guys? Coming back from injury. Him and Yanez decided, let's just beat, let's just, let's just fucking throw hands here, man. Let's have some fun. And then three minutes later, it was over. Marcus, we're big Rob Font fans on this podcast. Good to see he still has a little lead left in the pencil, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, but also a good coming out party for Yanez. I mean, it, you could tell he was devastated. Yeah, um, he knew was this sad. was going to be a big fight. This was stylistically a good fight for him, you know, having seen just like how good he is at boxing. And they were both just piecing each other up. I mean, again, it, it, it reminded me of like one of those things where it's like, yeah, kind of like the best three minutes of you say MMA, you may well just call the boxing. I don't know if they threw one kick amongst each other or went for any takedowns or anything, but it was just such a fun back and forth fight. And yeah, Rob Font just was able to land that big clean KO kind of like shovel hook uppercut just landed so clear. I mean, no one was recovering from that one. When you get hit with a punch like that, when it lands in that kind of danger zone, like that dude got flung to the floor with how hard he got hit, you know, almost like if he's wearing sneakers, they would have come off his feet. That dude Mm. got hit so hard in that one. Um, But it was one of these things was like, yeah, like you got to see that guy's skills too. And you know, w- when you're throwing fire, sometimes you get caught. Like, Yanez has a future. Yeah, man, for a guy you, you he's a future super, champ. Marcus, for a guy you weren't super familiar with before necessarily, are you excited for the next one? Just, you know, Absolutely, basically. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I'm saying coming out party, right? Yeah. Like, even in a losing effort, and, and like I said, you, you could tell, like, how hard the, this loss took him after the fact. But, like, he still put himself on the radar. Like, this was a big jump up. And sometimes when you, when you have those jumps in competition – the guys don't quite meet the level for whatever reason, but you see that like the skills there, like he just, it was a bad night, you know, things didn't quite work out for him, but he has that level. And as he grows and becomes better, he's going to be more dangerous and we'll have a lot of success. You could see there's a lot of, there's a lot of good molding there. So yeah, super excited to, to see where he goes and, and, and a fight that Rob needed, right? Like the things, this guy has been so up and down in his career were like, seemingly out of nowhere he's a title contender and then he loses a big fight here and there and that kind of wanes a little bit and he's been in the picture but not ever quite there right he's never been like oh he is obviously the next guy but he's been talked often about being in the pool of potential next guys so like it's fun you know bantamweight is a division that has felt stagnated at a couple times and it feels lively right now. There, there's a couple really interesting matchups, and, and Rob Font has kind of reasserted himself in there. And and then you got a good look at Yanez too, who, who's also in there. You know, he'll probably need, you know, a couple good wins with ranked guys to kind of reassert himself. But if he's able to do that, I think he will be a really interesting, you know, new blood in this division. So yeah, it was it was a great fight and and great great a great look into the future of what this division might have. Yeah. Um... Moving along, uh, Kevin Holland got a win. Santiago Ponzinibbio ate the fucking mat. That was that was a rough landing yeah. for my guy. I I really like Ponzinibbio, man. Post injury, been a different guy. And um, all right, Mike, I'm gonna say some stuff about Raul Rosas Jr. Or Ro- Rojas or Rosas? 
Raul Rosas. Rosas Jr. Rosas. Rosa? Rosas? Rosas. You're right. Okay. Rosas Jr. And I'm going to be a little bit critical here of this whole thing. And you tell me if I'm being too harsh on a child. A child. Well, not anymore. He's 18. Um, He, I think, got pretty exposed at having pretty terrible stand-up. Like, it was, he didn't land a punch in the first two rounds, which yep. a lot, in the first round, he, like, there was no ground and pound. None. Um, He's a good wrestler. He's good at getting positions. He f- is desperate on submissions, though, to get them. He had no energy. What would you say? How far into the second round was it clear the kid had nothing left? Well, he basically blew his load in the first yeah. round spending. And part of the reason why he basically threw no punches in that first round, Bobby, is because he spent the whole round, that whole first round, trying to get a takedown. Yeah, and he did get his back, and he got the fucking um, the leg uh, leg triangle and stuff and all that stuff, and he was on the guy. But like, okay, second round, he had no energy. Third round, he had no energy. Um, he didn't get knocked out, but he pretty clearly lost two rounds. We had a 10-8 in there too, um, which I'm assuming that's the third round, I think, you'd have to say. I... He, I, I didn't like the idea of him to begin with because I just felt like we're just going to manufacture a guy. And like, he had never beaten anybody with a winning record before he got to the Contender Series. And I don't know why he had to go to the UFC because like, there's other people they've gotten and got on like development deals and then they go to like the LFA. You know, they have the LFA is right there. The LFA, is a, it exists for a reason. It does a great job getting these guys ready. And I don't think the UFC is the place for us to figure out for you to get the building blocks of your skill set, right? Like he's still building. I'm not. This doesn't mean he's not going to be good. He could be great. He could be a champion yeah. one day, okay? But like, fucking, you know, went through fucking, uh, you know, uh, LFA is goddamn uh, C-Rod, Christian Rodriguez. You know, he went to fucking Cage Fury. He he fought in um, Bellator even. This guy's fought places. And like he's, the UFC should not be the first time you're experiencing like the second round. Okay. And I just, I just don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who thought this was a good idea on his, like, who's his manager? And, like, and, and like, he, he, sorry, 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 Bob, go ahead. No, I was gonna say also like, I, I know he's confident, right? And like he's, I'm gonna be a three way champion. He thought he was. He said I'm gonna be champion within a year, and I need to know if he really believed that. Of course, he believes it. He's 18, but that's why you have people who are older than you. In this case, when you're 18, that's mm. pretty much everybody who's in your circles, mm. who should be telling you, "I like your confidence, kid, but you're not there yet." Um, yeah, uh, this reminds me a bit of uh, Aaron Pico um, over in Bellator, except mm. this is an even higher higher promotion where Aaron Pico, uh, uh, was he, uh, I think he had been training in I mean, just the fucking straight Olympian. up. Like yeah, also, like, and, <laughs> and like he, I think he forewent college, was it? Just to go, go straight into MMA. He was, he was uh, like an AKA guy. He was like AKA, been AKA since he was like 15. It was like, that's, it was one of these stories. Like him, like he was a, you know, kid. Yeah. But you're, this is yeah, a good but example. The, but, but the point of that is, um, 
too much, too much at too early a time. Um, as you mentioned, um, you know, this kid hadn't seen the second round yet. And it could be it could be impressive to have not seen uh, the second round until your UFC fight. If you're doing it the right way, if it's just that you are just murdering people on the independence, on lower circuits like LFA, and even if you thought you were ready at 18, your coaches should have been like, let's give you another a year or two, even if you think you're ready, get more seasoning because you're 18, bro. Max, un unless you were a, a lifetime martial artist, you probably haven't been doing this that long. And I know his dad used to, was, I think, a former boxer um, before. So he's probably been around combat sports for, for a long time, but he's still just 18. How much would have hurt, uh, you know, for him to just get more seasoning for another year, even at least, unless is, his family is, really needed the money? This is I like don't a, get it. This isn't a Bo Nichols situation where we're looking like a four-time NCAA champion or something Bo, either. Bo Nichols, a college graduate. Bo mm. Nichols, at least twenty-two or twenty-three, coming into mm. to MMA at that point, and even then, he's probably not going to be in the UFC for what at least two, three years. Um, wait, wait, no, wait. Bo Nichols in the UFC, but Bo Nickel didn't. There's credentials straight from. He didn't jump straight from you know the Penn State singlet to the UFC within six months. I, I, I believe you know he had some fights on you know on the independent circle as well. And to put it simply, he's still four years older than what Raul Rosa is now. You know, like. There's Look, more experience there, even if it wasn't wrestling. Every one of his fights before the Contender Series was in was in Baja, because he couldn't fight in this country. He was too young, and I I think you can ruin a kid like this, man. Like what? Like they got like Sage Northcutt in there, and like they're trying to like build. This is not the promotion for that. Okay, Bellator can do that. Bellator will get Tyrell Fortune out of fucking the uh, college. At zero zero and mold Bell him. Bellator is still giving MVP tomato cans. Like, ex thank you. Like, they will do it. Uh, they will get Rudy Bears up to fight all these people. Okay, Rudy Bears is here to fight all these people. I just don't. I don't know what. Like, I, who was in charge of his career? Like, I don't. I think. Like, I guess he left his gym or something too. It was some shit like that. I was reading. I don't know exactly. Like, I don't know, man. Like. I, what, what did he say? He said, like, I, I had no, like, what was his, he, he, he put some comment out, like, uh, he's just like, my bad, bros, I didn't have the energy to do what I know or even try, things happen for a reason and God knows. No, we all know, buddy. You, you don't, you don't have, the, this is 135 fucking pounds. If this isn't the best weight class in this sport, Mark, it is the second best weight class in this sport. We do not have, there are not people for him to fight. Like, I, I, I mean, it's not impossible. Max Holloway showed up when he was 19. And, you know, Charles Oliveira showed up when he was 20. Like, it's not easy. And more, and then the UFC tries to cater to these people. Sometimes it's, you end up with a Sage Northcut. You end up with a Dan Lazon. Remember that one? There was another one. You end up with uh, Paige Van Zant. Like, you have to be ready on some level. I know you didn't watch the fight, but, you know, what do you think in general about what I'm saying? About, like, the, what the UFC is really for? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I think from UFC's perspective, you know, th they're always trying to look for the next star and having a really young kid who had a fight on the contender series and maybe his past fights, he's looked really well. You know, you want to kind of potentially if you could grab some kind of prospect or some kind of uh, prodigy early on and kind of groom them to some extent, you know, there's a lot of appeal there. Right? Like You can 
the sport grows off stars. So if they think they have somebody that is like young and charismatic and has a lot of growth potential, like, yeah, it, it makes sense that maybe they want to take a risk on them. I think putting them in, in like a pay-per-view this early on was a little risky. I mean, they took a lot of risks here. They, they put him against another guy. And we talked about last week, like we didn't know his oh, opponent. Mark, apparently well. he was a fucking prospect. That apparently anybody who knew anything about this about Christian Rodriguez was like, yeah, this is going to be terrible for Rojas. Rosas. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that. We said the, we said exactly the thing. We said we don't know the other guy, but the UFC is booking this kid to win. So they clearly thought he was going to win. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we thought, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, sometimes the UFC does book for. I mean, the organization is very much also kind of catered around sink or swim, right? Like they're very much not into potentially building stars by giving them easy fights or giving them showcase fights or even giving champions coming off devastating losses a tune-up fight, right? It, a lot of times it's like, well, you, you know, you're at, you're at the top of the top five. You have to find another top five guy. You know, there's not a tune-up fight. There's not a fight for you to kind of get your mojo back or what have you. So, you know, they put him in there with another tough kid. He didn't look good. Um, and, you know, at this weight class, you know, one of the things that – these guys really seemingly never have an issue with his cardio at 135 at these lighter weight classes these guys don't get tired Mm -hmm. right it's just not something we see you know you look at heavyweights and guys out of the rankings yeah you might see some fights that get a little sloppy in the second and third round if they've been going hard um because the cardio's not really there at these lighter weight classes that's something that we kind of skip past is like not being a factor but like yeah those those guys go they go hard for 15 minutes for 25 minutes if you can't keep up that pace you're not going to be able to swim with these sharks so you know i mean I, i'm not going to write the kid off completely but obviously it looks like he has some deficiencies in some areas particularly the striking and you know just falling back on one skill set is always dangerous especially in this weight class where everyone's so multifaceted whereas you know you look at heavyweights like yeah if you can if you're just really good at wrestling, like a Curtis Blades, and maybe your stand-up's not great, although, you know, Curtis, you know, I don't want to take anything away from him. He's got some good knockouts, too. Sometimes you can get away with just being really strong in one area. I don't know if his wrestling and submission wrestling is at that level where he can just bank on that. And if his striking doesn't get better, there's going to be dudes that are going to be able to stop those takedowns and have him kind of rely on that weaker skill. So, yeah, it's a tough look, you know, but um, yeah, we'll, and, we'll see um, how, he, how he bounces back from this. Mike, you wanted to... Comments more? You had, you had something else? Oh, just just wanted to add something to you mentioned when Max Holloway came into the UFC. He was uh, 20 years old, about to turn 21 in a few months in uh, 2012. That was against Poirier? That was against Poirier. Yeah, yes. and, he, and he put up a hell of a fight, man. That's something I, I, I didn't mean, I, I don't mean, again, I don't mean to say this guy is done, right? Like, I think we were saying the same thing here, Mike. Like, this is a very difficult path he has chosen, right? A very, and I don't know what his life is and his financial situation with his family or something. Maybe he thought he had to. And if that's the case, you know, of course. But like, I think just in terms of like the path he has chosen, this is going to be very difficult for him. And he might pull it off. He might not. Like, I mean, he better be in a fight night. You can't ask me, you can't ask people to pay for him to fight right now. And I think the path of a <laughs> UFC fighter is a difficult path for anyone of any age it's an it's an arduous journey um so doing it at 18 it's unless you are just a true shooting star true prodigy um which he seems to be up until this last fight um you can't begrudge the guy because 
you know, he didn't have the game best game plan at 18, but it's it's an even taller task for someone that I, young it's also to, like to do. It's just I don't know his man. I'm not really just mostly criticizing his management. They should pretty have, sure his management is his dad. OK, they shouldn't have accepted this fight either. Like someone should have been like, hey, he's not ready for this guy. You know, he wasn't ready for him. This, you know, and uh, Christian Rodriguez got to make weight, man. I think this is like the second time he's missed weight. You got a kid. You got to get it together. Like Anthony Pettis is like personally he's been like, this is my guy. Like Anthony Pettis is his manager. Like Anthony Pettis thinks the world of this kid. He has a bright future. He got to make weight. There's no excuse for not making weight. You know, you'd give up half your half your 20% of your check to this kid. So, and yeah, Cliff, uh, Chris Curtis was real pissed about having to be on the undercard instead of this and uh, instead of this fight. And uh, honestly, they were right. Him and Gastelum had a really good fight. Big win for Gastelum, um, which I think I picked because I said last week he really needs to win this fucking fight. So he did. Um, and then he talked about Jesus or something on the microphone for a few minutes there. So. Um, this is already a long podcast, but um, twelve million dollar gate, and I'm gonna put a pin in this conversation actually till next week because we're already at fifty six minutes. But there's something to be said about the UFC's pricing model for tickets at this point, because a point of reference, um, Nate and Jorge did six and a half million at uh, Madison Square Garden. Six and a half million. And uh, Mike, which one did we go to? Um, 280, 281. Uh, and that same, so the same arena, 11.5 yeah. million. Okay. Three years later, from six and a half million to 11 and a half million, same number of seats basically sold. So, let's talk about that next week. Um, did we just get into the picks? We're already at 57 minutes. What do you guys think? Do you, do you want to talk about a fight, um, Mike? Actually, you might as well. We're uh, locking in because he's retiring. So talk about Jorge if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this one is a bit out of the uh, time frame purview that uh, we had kind of picked for ourselves. Uh, for myself, I'm only supposed to really try to pick fights um, with that at the very latest was around uh, McGregor Mayweather. Uh, so I apologize to all of you out there who listen that I'm picking one that doesn't fit within that time frame. But I figured because in this fight, we had Jorge Masvidal's last fight, one, one point. And then another point of interest was Izzy's uh, mocking, faking rigor mortis and falling um, to taunt a KO'd opponent. It automatically made me think of the Jorge Masvidal uh, ben Askren fight. Uh, I think uh, Bobby may have mentioned that earlier in this podcast. I think it still holds the record for the fastest KO in UFC history. And after Masvidal ran at, at, at Askren and KO'd him with a flying knee, he proceeded to kind of strut around. He he banged his hand on the mat and then mimed the... Uh, going to sleep, just getting stiff and falling right to the canvas. Uh, so that, that made me think of that, uh, <laughs> of that KO celebration. And I don't want to say in celebration, but I guess in commemoration of Jorge Masvidal's quote, last fight, unquote. 
And I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback off that. I got another one. So nice. I'll say, Mike, and this is an old one, but probably the first rigor mortis taunt, at least that I've ever seen, and, and maybe in the entirety of combat sports. So this was at UFC 6. A Mr. David Tank Abbott fought uh, John Matua, mm. and he knocked him out not quite as quick as Jorge, but he knocked him out in 18 seconds. And he got the real rigamores. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys go stiff, but when he hit John Matua, he hit him with the hammer fist after, and his arms kind of froze up, mm. stiff as a board. And then Tank did a little miming it after, and that was real. I mean, I thought even as a as like a how old was I? I was ten years old. I was like, man, it's kind of a dick move. Like, <laughs> just kill that man. And now you're like, I mean, instantaneous, no remorse from Tank, just demolishing this man and then giving him a. A taunt. Right, Tank, was a, Tank was a real asshole. <laughs> he really was. But, <laughs> Tank uh, was a real asshole. Again, a, a couple of recommendations that you could watch, you know, easily under a minute. So was it, there you go. Was it Tank Ab- I always mix them up. Was it Tank Abbott or Dan Severin in a documentary that said after 9-11, he had the flag on Don Fry. the pole. It was Don Fry, yeah. ah, the other yeah. mustachio gentleman. Mm-hmm. Tank Abbott was on pole, Friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not know that. Oh, he fought um, Pete. Yeah, he fought Favreau. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, just to finish the, the yeah. that Sorry, point was, uh, no, no, you're good. Uh, Don Fry said in a documentary, because I guess Pride had an event not too long after 9-11, mm-hmm. that he came out with the American flag on on a pole to be respectful, not like some damn hippie who has it, you know, just draped across his, uh, his shoulders. He makes a good point. <laughs> That's... By the way, that was a three. That was a three fight night for uh, Tank Abbott. By the way, three fights that night. Didn't yep. uh, didn't win all of them, but you know. Yeah, d- never won those UFC tournaments. We got close on a couple. You can't ask Tank Abbott to fight seventeen minutes with fucking anybody, man. Like you get a fucking old yeah. leg on top of his ass for seventeen minutes. That's not gonna go well. Um, it was it was Don Fry who had that legendary commentary, uh, that one time commentary uh, session, right? It was him, someone else, oh, and yeah, Boss Root shark fights. Yeah, I was watching that in my room. This when Mike and I lived together. I was in law school, and I had the volume up. And then I hear all of a sudden Mike from the other room go, what "The fuck are you watching?" <laughs> yeah, like, what is this? Um, all right. Um, that was UFC six in Casper, Wyoming. Twenty seven hundred people went to that one. They got two hundred forty thousand people to buy those first year that UFC. Man, that's an achievement. Honestly, back then. Um, all right. So the UFC is back in action next week. Um, going to be at the, the Vice. Is it called Vice Star? Oh, no, they don't call it the Vice. They don't call it that anymore. I might be mixing it up with a different arena. But I thought this was uh, the arena um, that they do. Uh, what's it called in? Um, Invicta. But I could be wrong. I have been in. Uh, I've been to Kansas City, people. There's nothing going on. It's, it's, it's really nothing happening there. Um, Max Holloway, Arnold Allen. Uh, they're gonna do it, folks. We're going five rounds in the featherweight div- division. Arnold Allen wants to be world champion, and they said, "All right, see if you can beat Max Holloway first. And yeah, if you beat Max Holloway, you get to fight the champion. I don't think there's any argument there. Um, Betting line for this one is uh, Max is coming in. I've not closed it, but I think it was 180-ish. 185 to uh, Arnold Allen's plus 150. These are the bet, D- bet MGM odds. So we're just going to roll with those. 
Uh, everybody's normally roughly in the same ballpark there. Uh, Max's last fight was, I believe, against Yair, if I'm not mistaken. No, I'm sorry. It was against Alex. He has not fought since he fought Alex last July, where he got mm-hmm. his ass beat from pillar to post. 25-minute drubbing at the hands of Alex Volkanovsky, where Alex Volkanovsky said, I'm not going to make this movie fight this motherfucker a fourth time. I'm going to make sure of it. Um, Arnold Allen hasn't lost a fight in the UFC. Arnold Allen hasn't lost a fight since 2014. He is 10-0 in the UFC. Last two wins are Calvin Cater and Dan Hooker. Um, Cater's was a knee injury finish, though I think it was not going particularly well leading up to that point, if we remember correctly. Dan Hooker, uh, he beat Dan Hooker's ass in two and a half minutes. The list of people he's beaten along this reign, Cater, Hooker, Sadiq Youssef, Nick Lentz, Gilbert Melendez, Jordan Rinaldi, Mads Burnell, Makwan Amarkani, Yeltsin Meza, and Alan Omer. Before that, he was, you know, still fighting uh, overseas. Um, Mark and Mike, I believe you guys are both one game up on me right now. Um, I can go first. You can go ahead and go first. Uh, Mike, uh, I don't know if you're as big as an Arnold Allen fan as I am, but this is... This is an exciting one to me, I think. I think this we're going to learn a lot about the future of this weight class here. Uh, what do you got here? Uh, definitely exciting. Um, I like Arnold Allen as well, but I'm not ready to count out Max Holloway. Um, he did look good in his fight against Calvin Cater and the fight he had right before his fight with Volkanovski against Yair. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... Uh, it's no sweat off his back that he got his ass kicked by, you know, the best of one um, one forty five, right? Um, yeah, yeah, by the best uh, one forty fiver in the world. So I'll still be riding blessed. You had a different opinion of the Yair fight than I did. I didn't think he. I thought that we saw some cracks, but I don't know if that was. I mean, I'll make my pick in a second here, but I don't know if that was him because it was like a three two. I think. Ultimately, in that one, if I'm not mistaken. But I don't know if that was like, because Yair also was an excellent fighter. So I don't know if that's more the result of like Max is slowing down or Yair is that good. Um, Marcus, who's your pick for this one? Yeah, I'm also going with Max. Uh, you know, his last performance against uh, Volk was very poor. Yeah. You know, obviously the worst of the three he's had. Um, he really looked like he might have been missing a step. And it, so it could come to fruition here that like he is just like the wear and tear of an extremely active and difficult career is finally, you know, taking this turn on him. But at the same time, too, you have to look, he is only 31. So age there shouldn't be a factor. But Miles fighting potentially could be. Um, the main thing is like Arnold has had some. I mean, look at his road in the UFC hasn't been like easier. They're not like he's not fighting anybody like these. These are pretty good guys. But they're not the top tier guys. Like they're not the guys that are ranked. Um, and I do think you can look at um, his fight with Calvin was a. I mean, Alex's fight with Calvin was fantastic. You know, he looked like a, a world beater. Yair was a difficult fight, and that was really a good fight for Yair to kind of show like he can hang with these top guys. And we've seen, you know, in his last fight, like yeah, this guy is championship material. Doesn't mean Max can't hang or he's lost a step. We really don't know. But I do feel Max is I mean, okay, look, last time he lost to Volkanovsky, he he felt he fought Calvin and he looked unbeatable. 
He's literally jabbing him and talking to the commentator. He looked like he was a step above everybody else except for him. I could very easily see Max going, looking back at that last fight and being like, man, I looked bad. That was a bad performance. It's been almost, you know, not quite a year, but he's had a long layoff. I would imagine he's well-rested. And if he's, I would imagine he wants to make a statement. And Arnold Allen is, is a decent opponent for him to make a statement. It's an opponent that he should beat on paper. I feel like a couple years ago, this isn't even a question. He demolishes this kid. But I think now there's lots of, is he the same fighter? He's had a couple tough fights. He hasn't looked as dominant. So I think he, and knowing Max, you know, as we've seen throughout his career, I think he's going to want to make a statement in this. And I don't think he's going to, I don't think mentally he feels Allen's at his level at all. And I imagine that he's training to showcase that and to make a statement that like, yo, I'm still here. Like, and which is tough because he's in a, an extremely tough position now where he's lost the champion three times. It's like, I don't, no one's really asking for a fourth fight. What do you potentially do with your career? Are you going to be second fiddle? I don't know, but I don't see Max lying on his laurels and just being like, oh, you know, I'll phone it in on this kid. I, he's always been a, a guy in my eyes that's been very hungry. He's not a guy that, that is going to take it easy or think that he has an easy road here. He's going to train hard. He's going to want to make a statement after a really bad performance. So that's why I got Max. Okay. Um, I got Max also, but I don't think he's making a statement at all. I think he's going to get out of this one winning three rounds. And I will be in no way surprised if he loses it. Because I think Arnold Allen is just really that good. I think he's a very good fighter. But, you know, I think Yair is that good too. And he still lost. Um, I don't. I could be wrong. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't think he's done. Let me be clear about that. That's why I'm picking Max to win. I just don't think there's that. I don't think the gap exists anymore. Basically, is what I'm saying, Mark. I don't think the gap between him and I mean, I think the, the gap exists like with Alex and a lot of these other he's dudes. Not, you don't think he's a championship level fighter? No, I anymore, think he could be the champion. I just think like the same people catch up. People caught up to Valentina. People caught up. I think people are caught up to Max. I think that last fight with Yair was a close fight. He won three rounds. I don't think there was controversy. I think he won the fight. He won three rounds, I thought. I. It's hard to look good against Arnold Allen, man. I know he's winning all these fights, so obviously the other guys aren't looking that good either. But he wins. He gets it done, man. He's a well-rounded fighter. He gets it done. He's... It took a long time for them to give him any credit because he wasn't finishing guys, so he fought like six UFC fights in a row in London. And basically, might as well been on. The, he basically basically may as well have still been in fucking Cage Warriors, right? That's what that's what that means, right? Like, but I think he's, I think he's gonna be okay out there. I think Matt, I think Alan Arnold Allen's gonna be okay out there. I think he's gonna take a couple rounds. I just think Max is just you know, Max bounces below back. Max has has Max ever lost two in a row? Oh, but Volk. Ooh. Well, Volk. Uh, Volk. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, when I'm saying this, only people he's lost to in this company are Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor, Alex Volkanovsky, and wow, Dennis Bermudez. Okay. Man, that guy was a thing what for a minute. What the hell? But honestly, like, Max got into this company 11 fucking years ago. Max has got 26 UFC fights, and the last 12 are five round fights. I mean, I, his age means nothing to me, to be honest. He's got a ton of miles. Yeah, it, it's like Mark alluded to them, them yeah. city miles. Those city miles. On, uh, on the, on the, on the tread of those tires. Yeah, but I think he's got enough. I think we got one more push out of Max Holloway. I just don't think the gap exists, so I think it's going to be very close. I think it's going to be a really close fight. I could be wrong, 
I think he's going to win, but I think it's going to be very, I think it's going to be quite close. I think Arnold, I, I, Max doesn't, Max doesn't show up unprepared though, Mark, ever. Max, I mean, I don't feel he ever, let me unprepared. I mean, he'll get outclassed, but I never think Max took it easy in a fight. You know, I just think, I mean, like, mm-hmm. I think Alex Volkanovsky just leaps and bounds better than him now. Just the way it is. And, you know, man's one of the greatest fighters, that greatest featherweights ever. I just don't think, I don't I mean, I don't, unless Alex is leaving the weight class, I don't think he's going to be champion ever again in this weight class. And I think everybody's kind of caught up, but I think he'll get it done. It's five rounds. It's a long time to fight. Arnold Allen's never gone five rounds. He's trained for five rounds. That last fight was supposed to be five rounds, but see what happens come round four. You know, I think that's where Max can get this done here. Uh, rest of this card is uh, okay, I guess. I wouldn't if they're charging what they're charging other places for this or this thing. I would consider not going. But when's the UFC coming back to Kansas City? So, uh, you know, watch Tanner Bozer and uh, Yon Kutalaba beat the fuck out of each other. They're, that's just going to be you know some large men throwing heat. You know, and and also what else are you going to do in Kansas City? Dude, there's watch nothing. The Royals there's, play. Dude, there's Ooh. nothing in Kansas City. I like well, walking around Friday night downtown. There was no people. Okay, nothing. All right. Like in all of Kansas City, not even just in the downtown area. Bro, I I we went to the pre- we drove to Independence, Missouri to go to the Truman Presidential Museum because we ran out of stuff to do. Okay? So we ran out of stuff to do in Kansas City. Anyway. Didn't you go there with Sal? I know we he, he was he was fine he, with this he, idea. There's no way he enjoyed that. The, the, he he, enjoy we ran that. out of stuff to do. We <laughs> I'm not kidding. He wasn't even complaining. We ran out of stuff to do. Um I like Billy Quarantillo versus uh, Edson Barboza. I like that fight. Uh, Edson Barboza, we all know. Talking about, you know, mileage. I mean, he's 37 years old, and this dude's been in fucking... He's got like eight fight of the night fights. So, anyway. Um, this man's been in the UFC since 2010. Yeah, it's a very middling card besides that. But, I mean, if you can get some good tickets, go to a people in Kansas City. And... Uh, and then uh, if this fight, if is Tank Davis versus Ryan Garcia this weekend, Mike? I think it is because I've been starting oh, to see a lot second. more news articles. Not this weekend. Yeah, I'm. That is. You ready? Are you excited for that one? I really don't watch that much boxing outside of like when Canelo fights. Oh. Um, so I I probably won't be watching it. I'll actually be in Philadelphia that weekend. So oh. no, I won't be watching it. Marcus, do you care about Javante Davis or Tank or uh, Ryan Garcia? I'm just talking to myself about it at this point. <laughs> if it's not in a way, marking with it. Mark likes boxing too. No. Depends who it is. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I I haven't seen a lot of Ryan Garcia's fights, but I know he's a prospect. Um, and he's, I I feel like what I've heard is that like he's had good fights for him to look good in so he's going to sleep very good and this is yeah and this is going to be a difficult fight for him so yeah if if i find myself in an opportunity to watch it i'll I'll probably check it out i will be betting heavily on tank davis bad person excellent boxer (laughs) sum it up right there um all right um stuff we like yeah um our mind's gonna be something we're gonna talk about at the end of its season but has are you up to date on Ted Lasso, Mike? Uh, yes. I just watched the episode where they go uh, against uh, West Ham. Okay, that, that's all I'm saying. Okay. They go against West Ham. Um, without spoiling any of the season, I just want to say I think after a kind of eh first episode, they're fucking killing it. All right, they are fucking killing it on this show. Ted Lasso remains. Oh my god, it makes you feel, Mike. It makes me feel. It does. 
And that one dude is doing just the best Ibrahimovic impersonation that's ever been. Okay. That that that, that is who he's uh, impersonating, right? Yeah, that's who it's oh it's definitely Ibrahimovic. Okay. Maybe slightly less assholish than Ibrahimovic, but we'll get there. Um anyway. Um that's yeah, I really don't have any. I I, I went to Hood Slam. You go to the Bay Area man, go to Hood Slam. If you have fight, if you have the fight app, watch Hood Slam. Like give it a shot one time. I don't know, it's probably ten bucks. Like to watch Hood Slam. Mark can vouch for this. Mike has been there now. If you watch the app, the Hood Slam from December 2022, the first week, you can watch Mike having the time of his fucking life as El, as El uh, Chupacabra and um, Dark Sheik are just beating the crap out of each other in a bar. All right? Um, but yeah, Mark, what do you got this week? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not not a ton. I'm still working through Resident Evil 4. It's... Still fantastic. I'm super enjoying my time with that game. Uh, and it's a bit longer than I thought. Um, but yeah, just played that. I, I did watch the... Um, the I did see the Super Mario movie. I don't know if we want to talk about it next week if you are going to have a chance to see it, Bob. Um, but we can wait until next week. I you guys can talk about it. it. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, all, all I'll say is that I did enjoy it. I do think, you know, there's the series has always had very iconic music. So they had a lot of good music to pull from, um, which I think they do a really great job with my biggest kind of like and and I enjoyed the movie. I want to say that first and foremost, I think it's a fun, entertaining movie. Uh, My biggest problem with it is just like it moves a mile a minute. Yeah, they don't sit in any scene for any amount of time. Like you got to just like it's just boom, boom. And I, I think part of it is just like. They might have thought like, well, do we really need to get into the nuance of like the mushroom kingdom and how this world's kind of set up? But it is just like you get thrown in it very quickly. And it's just like, and now we're off to do this thing. And now we're doing this thing. And now this thing's happening. And it's just kind of like it just kind of bombards you with this like constantly like things happening and not always like it making a ton of sense. And and this is a kind of movie like if you're really like going into it to scrutinize like the script and like the plot you're, you're kind of missing the point it is just an animated fun video game movie that does a good job adapting the video game you know like the different abilities they have and kind of the world and the different monsters and enemies and different little I- iconical things and, and a lot of little easter eggs for people that that see them um and can find them but like i feel for me i was like i enjoyed it i thought it was fun I personally never got all the backlash with like the voice acting and and it is kind of cute. They even kind of um, discuss it a little bit in the beginning about like why Chris Pratt doesn't sound more like the Mario 64 rendition that we're more familiar with. I I personally never had an issue with the Uh, the voice casting. Did you catch the cameo of the Mario actor at the beginning of the movie? I I knew that. I don't know if, if I didn't know it ahead of time, I don't know if I would have picked up on it. But I saw like before the like the day the movie came out, I saw a YouTube clip of like, oh, look at this scene where it has this the guy that does the Mario voice. So I kind of it was kind of spoiled. I guess yeah, I don't know if I would have picked up on. It. I I probably would have been suspicious, but not known for sure. But it's a very cute, fun movie. Um, but it's not like I, I don't know. I I guess I've seen some like people saying like, oh, the critics, you know, because I think on Rotten Tomato the critics have it at like fifty three, and the audience scores at like ninety eight. I don't. They're printing I, money, I think, right? Is that what happened? I think, I think they're printing money, right? Well. It, like it grossed million. about 
360 or 370 yeah. million worldwide. International. It broke yeah. Frozen 2's record. Yeah, okay, they're okay. No, yeah, they they're, they'll be but, five I other mean, movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this whole, like, look, look at it. When I look at that critic score of 53% on Rotten Tomato, I'm not angry. Like, I get it. Like, this movie is not like, you know, it's not a deep, you know, well-plotted, scripted, well-strong dialogue movie. It's just a fun action. You know, it's a fun animated action movie and i enjoyed watching it and I, I probably will watch it again at some point but um is it a kids movie yeah, and it was a good what's that is it a kids movie yeah absolutely okay i, I think it's it's a kids it, it, it's really i mean obviously it's to appeal to children as much as it is to appeal to our generation that kind of grew up on the game there's there's so many little nods they have so many little Easter eggs that like, yeah, throughout the whole thing, I'm telling Christine like, oh, that's the GameCube startup music <laughs> and stuff like that to, to kind of keep you in it. But there's also just like so many there's so many things It's like what we're just jumping from this to that with like no rhyme or reason or they bring up an interesting point like these two characters are human. They find out and they don't look into that at all until like three scenes later. And it's just like some of it just seems like. It is almost like for a younger generation that is like been built on TikTok. So like we don't want to sit in a scene for more than like a minute thirty. Like you get it. We're on to the next thing. Let's let's move on. Um. So yeah. Overall, really, I, I did enjoy it. I thought it was really fun. I in it's one of those things like it did well. Like in in the opening movie, they have like a whole like Nintendo pictures. Like you know, this is like a new thing that they're getting into. Like there's gonna be probably a Zelda movie, obviously more Mario movies, probably a Donkey Kong movie, potentially Star Fox, Metroid. You know, this is kind of can open up to a, a lot of things. A Star um, Fox movie would sound pretty interesting. That was honestly the first thing I thought. I was like, I think Star Fox would be interesting. But like, again, it's, you know, Mario in and of itself for being around for, you know, like almost 40 years, probably over 40 years. I think they just had an anniversary, actually. Like, there's never been much lore about like, what the hell is the mushroom key? How does this world function? Like, how? What are these different kingdoms? And like, if you go into this movie thinking like, oh, maybe they're gonna fill in some backstory, so yeah. I kind of know like what the hell's like. No, no, not really. Not I mean, really. it's just to, to your to your point about the movie just going and going and going. Uh, just pretty very quickly, it's just like Mario be so. Hey, what's up, Toad? Hey, guy, I've never met before. Come meet the princess. Oh, that's it like you they showed now. some of Come these scenes before the movie came out and i just assumed there would be more to them than what we already saw but no it's just that exact scene it was just like it, it was exactly that mike it's just like he meets toad mario's like whoa we're the we're the fmi and he's like oh this is the mushroom kingdom where's my brother uh well we'll find someone to talk to let's go run an adventure now and it's just like there's there's <laughs> not that moment of him just being like I mean, he literally takes a breath and is like, whoa, look at this place. And that's it. That's as much like time he gets to sit in like this new experience and they're instantly going. Um, but yeah, overall, still really enjoyed it. And I, I think anyone that, you know, grew up with the Mario games will have a lot of fun. And again, like the score is so good. They do such a good job there. Um, and there's just like a, there's a lot of fun little things in that in that movie to enjoy. So it's a good time. The star, no pun intended, of this movie is that captured like blue star that's basically with Lu uh, Luigi like in that oh, little jail right. cell area mm -hmm. the uh the one that has a very nihilist the, the cute nihilistic view on life oh yeah that star made me laugh the whole movie 
Yeah, it was very cute. That was from like uh, Mario Galaxy. They have like these little. I don't know. Oh, what they're was called. it? Oh, okay. Yeah, they have like. The, I mean, I, I don't. In Mario Galaxy, they're not like that, you know. But that was a fun little like yeah character kind of have, like a dark humor kind of twist to it. That I think was really enjoyable too. Like overall, the, the movie's fun. You, you should absolutely yeah. go see it. Mike, uh, I was actually gonna say uh, Super Mario Brothers as well. So um, Mark pretty much uh, summed it up pretty well. Great movie. Okay. Well. All right. Um, I guess we'll be back next week. Um, until then, I'm going to tell Mike to go find the video of Israel Adesanya dancing in the club with Chuck Liddell behind his left shoulder and Tito Ortiz behind his right shoulder, bringing people together. Tito's been hanging out with too many Republicans because all the flavor is gone in that man's dance moves. There's no dance moves. <laughs> <There's no, laughs> no, it might be all the injuries, man. Um, speaking about joining a cult, Jesus. Um, so anyway, that was kind of a cool thing to see. And also I'm just reading that. I'm not sure people are familiar with the podcast, uh, behind the bastards. Um, it's a fairly well-known podcast where they deep dive into the generally loathsome people. Uh, I believe the history channel is a history channel, uh, podcast. And they just announced that they're going to do an episode about Vince McMahon. And the guy who's doing the research said, I just started, he said, just, he tweeted, I just started doing research and oh my God. <laughs> so gonna be a good episode. Um, until next week, I was Dr. Law. That was DJ Mark. And that was Lavender Gooms. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, go check out the Super Mario Brothers movie if you want. Really just watch Ted Lasso. See y'all next week. Peace out. Peace. Yep. I was kind of sad back I would have liked some Yoshi in my life. Uh, that's a sequel. They're going to do Super Mario Brothers World. We're going to get a Luigi's Yoshi. Mansion movie, right? Ooh, nice. I could see them doing Ooh. a mansion. Did you know that the way Mario gets uh, Yoshi's tongue to stick out is that he punches him in the back of the yeah. head? Yeah. yeah, that's messed up. Yeah. <laughs> he gives him a little bonk. It's not cool. It's really inappropriate. Anyway, uh, thank you all for listening, guys. Goodbye. <laughs>